This week on the Toki Taka podcast, two heavyweights go head to head as Liverpool and Man City draw 1-1 at the Etihad. Well, they were distracted though. Arsenal hopped, skipped and jumped over the both of them and are top of the league. Their neighbor Spurs aren't going so well and Ange isn't able to figure out how to just do it, mate. Chelsea are finding it hard to keep the momentum going and they get dealt a big blow against Newcastle as they lost 4-1. But all the news was dominated by the goal of the season that we saw in the United versus Everton game. All this and more this week on the Toki Taka podcast. All right, boys, welcome back. We've had a long break with the international break and everything. Nothing like a good weekend of football to get us going again. I'm going to start with Ab, who's back after a small hiatus. Ab, great week for you to be back. Perfect week for me to be back. So it's a good week of football. It was anything but a good week of football. It was horrible, but we'll talk more about that later. I wonder, does your talky moment or talky point of the week have anything to do with that beautiful game? Yeah, so, uh, you know, normally I try to find positive talky moments, even when we have not had a good weekend. But uh, there's nothing positive this weekend at least for Chelsea so um, I'm gonna go have to go with uh, Thiago Silva's horrendous mistake um, which gifted Newcastle a goal so right after we went 2-1 down uh, Silva basically miskicked the ball went straight to Jolinton and or he took a heavy touch and Newcastle scored and the game was over pretty much uh, after that right so um, so yeah, I'm going to have to go with that. An error from a person who usually doesn't make any mistakes. Alright. We'll get right into that as soon as we start the episode. But before that, a smiling RK today, I think. Um, a huge three points, three goals and the goal of the season. RK, how do you feel and what's your talkie point? Yeah, feels great to be you know back watching football after... Uh... You know, a really torturous uh, cricket final. So, you know, helped to push the mind away from cricket for a bit. Uh, And Garnacho helped in that as well. Uh, A lot of people comparing it to Rooney. But the moment he struck that goal, uh, felt like, uh, you know, how Ronaldo scored in the Champions League final. And then the celebration that he did was exactly a replica of, you know, multiple Ronaldo celebrations uh, ending with the CU. So, a lot of Ronaldo glimpses. And hopefully, uh, this will be... A sign of Garnacho really, uh, you know, trying to push on, gaining more confidence because we have seen him miss real sitters in the last few games. And uh, to score that goal should hopefully give him a bit of confidence. That's it. was a great goal. But uh, I'm not sure that I'm a big fan of the CU celebration. Uh, my talkie point of the week, it has to be that amazing Trent Alexander-Arnold goal against Man City. It was a game that we were clearly second best in. We didn't play well at all. I thought we we kept Man City's creativity down, but it needed some spark, which I didn't see where it was going to come from. And it was a real spark. It started off with Allison. We took the ball the other way. And Trent finally, with a perfect touch and finish uh, from the edge of the box. If you had asked Jurgen Klopp and Pep Linders, what did they envision Trent to be when he was playing in that box midfield. I think it would be something like that, scoring a goal like that. Um, So yeah, Trent gets us a really, really good point at the Etihad. Uh, That has to be my talking moment of this week. 
and and also other i i you know liked how you brought in a nice alison compliment there yeah. but i mean uh, one of alison's weakest games but still made some pretty damn good saves so we'll we'll come to that game in a bit we'll start off this week however with the blockbuster game 4-1 newcastle chelsea with a red card to chelsea's new captain um i think the manager came out after the game and it looks like he's losing a bit of patience with uh, with the inconsistency ab how do you feel i yeah i feel a like crap <laughs> so um, so overall over the bro- over the last 6 7 weeks there's been a broad uptick in chelsea's form and um uh, and the way we're playing and the the build up the um, uh, finding spaces between the lines all of that has been has been really good uh, this game was probably our worst performance of the season even though we have lost like five or six games now in total uh, and the reason it was the worst was because we were spineless completely spineless this game um, we backed away from 50 50 challenges we didn't compete uh, hard enough for some of those um there was a time when we could have and should have taken the lead in the first half um gallagher missed a pretty straightforward chance and then reece james set up enzo who hit who hit the post uh so it's one of those things where if you are away from home against a very good side like newcastle and you're up a goal i think the team would have performed better but it was one one that things were uh, relaxing and there were two instances where the team completely lost concentration and both the times newcastle scored which was of course their uh, their opening goal and the goal to go 2-1 up which is a complete loss of concentration from from the defense the first one was a comical goal to concede isaac's goal uh, you can see the entire line trying to move up and play him offside and he's onside by a mile it's just it's just comical loss of concentration over there um the second goal again very basic corner or a free kick to garden and garden just puts it in from the right side it, it very basic cross and header type of a goal with nobody marking a center back right in the box which is uh which is just yeah unforgivable i'm going to put that down a little bit to the fact that um this was the first time this center half combination was playing for chelsea in the league this year thiago silva and buddy ashil is this buddy ashil's first league start this season by the way he's been injured for like 4 months um normally they both are quite good uh, but um, but yeah and then 3-1 with thiago silva's error the game was over there right so we showed nothing in attack it's an off game from um, uh, from our guys in attack as well gallagher was decent sterling was okay he scored a wonderful free kick of course but um, but we didn't get much out of cole palmer didn't get much out of got nothing out of jackson let's be honest um and that's so you, you it's almost like a sterling or a palmer need to do something otherwise it's not much happens for chelsea uh and palmer is 19 right so expecting him to go to st james plus park and give one 11 out of 10 performance after he's given a 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 performance against city last week was probably expecting a little too much right he's 19 he's bound to have uh some pretty average days so there's a lack of quality in certain areas and of course combine that with mistakes and that's the game over there won't speak too much on reese james's red card 
I don't think he should have got that first yellow, which was a rather hasty yellow from the ref. But I think after you get the first yellow, you can't complain too much about that. The second also was soft, but we see all of we see that given every day in the Premier League nowadays. Um, I think that makes it some 35th or 40th red card this season already for uh, across all the teams, which is like a ridiculous stat. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty very forgettable for performance. I can understand why Pochettino was as upset as he was. Uh, let's see if we turn the corner. I think uh, there's no need to hit the panic button just yet, but very, very insipid performance. Uh, you know, up while uh, Pochettino was, uh, you know, had some right to go after his players, but the way that he went after them, I think uh, I found it a bit too direct, bit too personal, uh, you know, in terms of what he was calling out. Do you think he needs to, you know, build a bit more unity by probably doing that indoors? Uh, like, doesn't really feel right uh, to be that, uh, you know, uh, you know, that scathing. It's almost as if he's uh, taking the responsibility off his own shoulders. Yes or no? See, these things... It's tough to know, right? This whole we had the same discussion when Ten Hag called out Sancho for not training well or whatever, or similar kind of a discussion. Although Pochettino was a lot softer than I felt Ten Hag was, relatively speaking. See, it's kind of tough to tell these things. Yes, I would prefer if uh, the manager takes the bullet for the team and all that. I was very critical of him and how he set up. The fact that we have two weeks international break, there's no excuse for not uh, not turning up on a given day. Uh, for me, it's a, it's the manager. It's a manager's responsibility to get the players ready for the game. It's as simple as that. Uh, but on this whole public versus private uh, calling out, I think it's very difficult to know um, what his exact equation with each of those guys is and all of that. How he prefers to treat that. So I think you have to err on the side of the manager over there. Uh, it's not like this is some major habit with him, and uh, there is nothing to suggest that there is no unity in the squad. There's a lack of quality, but there doesn't seem to be a lack of unity. So, I think nothing to majorly distress about at this time, I feel. Yeah, I would I would actually give Poch the benefit of the doubt because there have been some really like bad losses um, as well this season and inconsistency rather. There have been a lot of uh, switching and changing between form uh, that the team has displayed and he has most of the time been pretty defensive over the team. I think this is one of the few times he's actually come out and uh, one could argue that he could have come out and done something or said something even prior to this. But even the big difference here between the whole public versus uh, uh, in the dressing room thing is he didn't call out anyone specific. It was a it was a scathing like reaction to the entire team's performance, which I think is totally fine. A lot of managers do do that from time to time. I think it's very different when you call out one particular person. Like if he had called out Thiago Silva for the error, that would have been a strict no-no in my book. But uh, I think just coming out and say that they didn't, and I think in his post-match interviews, he said the word compete, I'm, I think somewhere around 14, 15 times, uh, or the lack of uh, the team competing basically. Uh, so yeah, there was a, clearly he was trying to send a message to the team that uh, whatever they saw on the training field didn't translate into the pitch, and it was it was there to be seen in the in the game as well. I think uh, there was so much of laying, like just taking two steps back when when Newcastle was running at you. People like Gordon, I I, I thought found it very easy in the game uh, as well. So maybe he was just trying to rile up his team that way. We have missed Christopher and Kunko. I think. 14 games, 
or whatever how many of your games are over now which is missed it would have been a completely different picture if he was available even for half of them i'm not saying we'll be in the top four or whatever but i think we'd be five six seven points better off if he had some finishing quality in the squad right and that kind of goes back to that winning 11 out of 13 games on xg or whatever it is you need someone to put those chances away that's that's one area um and for the rest of the squad, I think you just have to wait for them to get a little more mature. More coaching is needed for these guys. Like the average age is 23 or something. Right? Now, with this talent and good coaching, when this squad reaches an average age of 24, 25, then I think it's we should have some serious expectations from them. But I think we can expect them to be inconsistent through the rest of the season. Uh, like top eight probably is a good finish. Top six will be a great finish for the squad, uh, for the squad with this age profile and so on. Yeah, I think it's it's to do with the age uh, profile that they have signed. So many players in the same age, and when you look at the experienced players, you uh, I, I mean, if you name the experienced players in the squad, one is Sterling, who's pretty much doing his job so far. I think he's had an a you know outstanding season. The other experienced player is uh, you know Reese James, who's kind of uh, you know out injured almost all the time. Uh, and he's back and he did that, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, completely unnecessary red card in the game. And then you talk of Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva, it's always a question of when is he going to be past it. Probably this is a sign that he really is past it. And, uh, you know, when you talk, I think what Chelsea really need uh, to spend the next billion, uh, you know, dollars, so to say, is to spend it on really experienced players. In addition to the striker that I've mentioned, I think, uh, you know, definitely they need a centre-back. So, and they need a really experienced one at that. So, that's where I think they should go. All right. Um, that's an interesting call though. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure they would be constrained by the money that they've already spent and the strategy that they've taken is to buy young for a longer duration, longer contracts. So, it'll be interesting to see how they mix that up with some experience if they do. Um, all right. Coming to the next big game that we had this weekend, Liverpool versus Man City. Unfortunately, it was a 12.30 p.m. at UK time kickoff on a Saturday after an international break. And I think we could see it. It was not the best Liverpool City game that we had seen in the past few years. Um, I'm not complaining because at a lot of times, especially at the Etihad, we've got our ass handed to us. Uh, 4-1, 5-0, whatnot. A lot of stuff has happened. Uh, considering the context of Man City being on 23 straight winning... Uh, straight games won at home. I think getting that draw while not playing well, I think this is a great point for Liverpool. A lot of issues, of course. Um, I don't think we were attackingly, like in our in an attacking sense, I don't think we were there. A lot of um, rhythm issues. Dominic Saboslai had another quiet game. That's two now in his career so far, uh, which he's allowed, of course. Um, Curtis Jones didn't look at the races. McAllister looked okay compared to the last time he came back for a 12.30 kickoff where he looked dead. Uh, Allison, I think you could clearly see that Allison um, was probably sleeping all through the day before the game. Uh, McAllister, in fact, said that they were all on the same flight back and McAllister fell asleep during one of the team sessions um, uh, the previous the previous day, the day before the game. So, I think that's something that you'll have to get it out of the system. Every time you come back from this, these South Americans come back, you'll have to expect a blip. But overall, I'll take the point. Um, great goal for Trent. I think he had a very difficult afternoon. Um, rather than Doku, which I think 
was somewhat a part of the plan also to let him run. Uh, I was very disappointed with the goal that City scored. Of course, Alisson had an error in, in the slip. He was trying to find Salah like he always does. And that very often results in a very good attack for Liverpool. This time it didn't work out. But the ball bounced 40 yards from goal. And Sobozlai and Trent just let a centre-back dribble past them without any... Any any semblance of a block or a tackle, that is very disappointing. And of course, Haaland finished because Haaland does finish. Uh, but overall, I think a good point for us. I think City will be disappointed that they have not uh, taken three points in that game. What did you guys think of the game? Yeah, on that uh, City goal, uh, one more thing that I found a problem was uh, once Ake got beyond uh, you know, the people who were closest to him, I found that you know, you could see that, okay, Haaland, uh, you know, that pass coming. But at the same time, it always looked like a low probability chance because I thought that Matip would cut it out. So, uh, ultimately, the space in which Haaland found himself, I, I thought that was really loose defending as well. Uh, you know, the way that Matip reacted. But, uh, credit to Liverpool for sticking in the game, keeping it at 1-0. Uh, and, of course, Trent, uh, he, you know... I, like Trent's finish, I found it really high quality. We, we were talking about it after he scored. He takes a touch and immediately lets the shot uh, with so less backlift. He's such a great talent. Uh, so, I, I think good point for Liverpool staying in the title race. Uh, till now, we are seeing a three-horse race, which is not very common so far. Um, it was, if you look at the touch before the finish as well, that's just pure quality. Like outside of the foot to set it up an immediate shot. It's it's something that um, the best of midfielders would be proud of. So yeah, great goal um, from Trent. I'm, I'm, I think just if you look back to how that chance started, uh, City had a great chance. And it was actually a really good save uh, from Alisson that kind of like he got his body in the way and then we took the ball out and Gravenberg after that uh, uh, did something that our midfielders have not been doing for the past few seasons which is actually take on a man and get the ball forward uh, through a dribble i think that created uh, uh, the momentum in our favor they still had five six people back so then it still came down to trent's touch and finish at the end of it but yeah i think a lot of positive signs for us considering where we are in the table where we are in the season the kind of games that we've already played especially the tough away games if we if we look at it and say that we're just one point of the top at this stage, I I, I would any Liverpool fan would have taken it. Um, the only down point I think of the the large one has been the Luton game, where I think that was the big one that we should have done better in. But apart from that, I think it's been a totally uh, I would say above par season so far from Liverpool. So optimistic for the rest of the season to see how it goes. Okay, so on this uh, Liverpool game, I uh, you know wanted to talk about uh, one thing. And that question was for Ab. So, Ab, on a scale of 0 to Peter Check, where do you rate Alisson? Uh, Alisson is close, man. He's a very good goalkeeper. He's um, probably the best goalkeeper in the last 5-6 years. Um, but yeah, he's like a 0.6 check maybe. Still some way to go. <laughs> he has to get 4 more Premier League titles and... Yes, like yes, because that's how that's how more clean sheets. That's how good. That's how goalkeepers can. are. Uh, goalkeepers are measured by the titles, of course. Yeah, um, but but anyway, yeah, Alison. I think from a modern keeper standpoint, I mean, of course, you can't compare to keepers of the previous era. But from the current era, I think he's right up there with anybody. As is Edison. I mean, I'm not personally an Edison fan because I think he's had a couple of seasons where he's been average, which I think is a, a bit of a red flag when you're talking about true elite. But he is Edison is right up there as well. 
but yeah okay so then moving on um i we don't have our resident fantasy premier league expert in ashwin uh, in in this week but uh, looking at how the league has been going looking at the form that certain teams are in do you guys think anybody should be making any changes to their teams uh, perhaps uh, some somebody bringing in uh, a west ham attacker since they seem to be doing well aston villa are flying should ollie watkins be triple captain any point of views on these you know talking of west ham players uh, mohammed kudus has uh, you know really caught my eye uh, i i think last week or the last pod in fact before the international break we talked about uh, his interventions in that game really great finish and probably uh, you know he missed a great chance and one assist i think in this game again he uh, goes and you know gives a great assist uh, uh, did he score as well uh, but you know kudus is really turning it on uh, for west ham it's a bit of a you know uh uh like what do you call it uh, it's it's a bit of a paradox team right now west ham where it's uh, you know caught between two worlds in how uh, uh, you know how physical moyes would like to be and how aerial he would you know or or direct he would like to be and then you have players like packet and kudus so definitely i would be looking at you know west ham players i would also be looking at watkins uh, we talked about the trent finish wow that finish from watkins was so similar where he takes a touch and then you know uh it it's it was a proper striker goal to do that with such less time and such less backlift so watkins i i think must be in most people's team considering his price but great great uh, person to have i guess yeah i would also start looking at uh, ferguson again from brighton uh he had i know he had a hat trick to early on in the season against newcastle then he missed a couple of games then he went quiet for a couple of games and i think he's now scored again uh two or three games running so and his next game is against chelsea so you can always there'll always be a goal or two to be had there um and of course jao pedro has started scoring also uh quite a few goals now i think they both are sort of clearly leading the race from uh, brighton point of view and brighton are scoring a ton of goals but on a slightly more bantery note is it time to make havertz your triple captain guys what do you think He scored a He doesn't goal. get the volume up. He only gets the big moments, you know, Champions League winning goals, those kinds of those kinds of goals you can expect expect out of Havertz. I think on I'm not ready to nominate him as a pick yet, but one to keep an eye on is Olise. I think he's been out with injury and he was really highly talked about all through um all through the the start of the season with chelsea and man city linked and and things like that he's come back from injury and he had a superb performance uh, at the weekend he scored the goal of the season on a saturday uh, until that was uh, just you know brutally swept aside by garnacho but if you haven't seen it listeners do check out olise's goal uh, at the weekend an absolutely outstanding strike a run and strike and he pretty much called the shots in that entire game so one to keep an eye on he's one of those high volume dribblers as well so exciting to watch uh, all right let's move on then we had a we had a big couple of uh, other games in, on the weekend we can start though with that game and that goal united versus everton and garnacho rk take us away you know what a way to start a game because before the game everyone was uh, you know really worried about uh, how united would react to being in a really you know tense atmosphere everyone expected you know goodison park uh, to be uh, you know on flames literally and that's how it was before the game uh, supporters were uh, you know understandably very very angry and uh, and because of that they were very very loud it's it's uh, it's already a it's not an easy place to go 
and Everton have been a team who have done well this season without the points. Uh, now that they have been docked 10 further points. But even before that, we have talked about how you know they have been able to create a lot of XG per game. I think they are one of the highest sites in the league, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Probably the top four or five sites in terms of how much XG they have created this season. So, you know, that's how United fans went into the game because uh, uh, like the team does have a, a potential to concede silly goals and then silly momentum away. But and considering all those things, basically, it was a great way to start the game in terms of how the momentum, you know, was completely taken away from Everton in that one moment. Uh, great, uh, you know, it, it, like, like like with most bicycle kicks, it wasn't a great cross. So, you know, going slightly behind his body and, uh, you know, I, I saw him shape up for that. But of course, you don't expect anything to come out of that. But the way that he connected, the way that his body was, uh, you know... Uh, going towards ultimately turned out to be a great goal uh, probably a sign of you know things to come although the united performance in itself doesn't really inspire that much confidence uh, i thought everton came back from that goal pretty well uh, you know we allowed them to do the things that they like to do which is to play a lot of direct balls try to win the second balls try to win the first header etc get to our box and take shots away so I don't think after a point we, uh, you know, uh, like we were really uh, good at uh, thwarting them. But uh, second half again we came out and we were better. Uh, in addition to this teenager that we already talked about, I think another teenager caught the eye. Kobe Mino had a you know really good uh, Premier League debut. Uh, very good control. He showed a lot of maturity which people like probably Bruno and Rash didn't show in terms of how to control the game, how to keep position, how to keep the away ground silent. But yeah, star of the show, Garnacho. Hopefully, uh, he carries on from here. A lot of important games to come. So, hopefully, he does. Uh, like, he scores more easier goals for us. You know, uh, one one interesting thing also about Andre Onana, since we were talking of goalkeepers and I was reading, uh, uh, like, what really surprised me. Uh, actually, I was reading about uh, Alisson and how he has performed this season. And uh, turns out that, you know, very predictably, he's still on top of most of the stats. So, Allison has the best save rate, 79% in the league so far. And uh, he he has one of the best uh, XG and goals also, uh, around 3.5 something. And uh, uh, and the leading keeper there is uh, Kaminsky from Luton. He has some 6-7 goals saved. But a very surprising name that came out in all these stats was Andre Onana. Uh, only a few weeks back, we talked about him trailing uh, how much, you know, uh, he... Of, uh, of him having considered more goals than he should have. This was maybe a month or so back. And uh, within one month, now he has the second highest save rate in the league after Allison 76%. And he has saved 3.5 uh, more goals than his XG shows. So, you know, probably that's also something to talk about. Uh, Andre Onana is a big positive for us uh, in the last few weeks, along with Harry Maguire has also done well. So, hopefully, I don't want to jinx anyone, but hopefully, Onana at least keeps this up. Yep. There was so much positivity. I think the last time uh, the United boys were this positive was uh, for the first game of the season, I think, getting all their signings in in and being, and being happy and positive uh, for the season. Uh, but RK has called it. I think they're going to win... Uh, at Newcastle, St. James's Park, the best key, one of the best keepers in the league, or some of the best kids uh, to come out of the ranks as well. Um, lots to come, and I'm not going to let him, not not going to let him come here with the jinx. Uh, we'll go straight to Ab. So yeah, question for RK. So what's the um, 
what's the deal with this whole varan situation lots of reports that they are ready to sell and he, i mean he wants to go and united is completely open to selling him and all of that what's the what's your read on that situation is that is that something that we should you know believe or is it too premature yeah it's uh, so there's a lot of rumors in terms of how unhappy he is and uh, you know him trying to angle for a move away at least whatever i am reading doesn't seem to be you know that angle doesn't seem to be true so far i don't think united will let him go before the summer in any case and uh, from a profile perspective definitely represents a you know better fit uh, uh, of a player than you compare to a maguire or a lindelof in the right sided center back role uh, having said that he's not taken kindly to maguire uh, you know superseding him in the 11 so which is you know pretty understandable so uh, and maguire has been playing uh, decently well as well and the thing that is keeping varan out in all of this is ten hag's uh, you know very staunch preference for someone who can play with the left foot on the left hand side so lindelof and evans can do that and that's why he's kept varan out that's something which i don't understand to be honest i would always keep the two best center backs and uh, you know it's not that varan is such a bad passer from the right side or that maguire is such a bad passer from the left side so Uh, and the way that Lindelof is playing, or you know, you uh, like you guys already know my feelings on Johnny Evans, so I don't need to elaborate on that. But I would always prefer you know the two best centre backs to play. Uh, so uh, and I was talking about it on the weekend as well. Lindelof was absolutely pathetic against Everton. Most of the xG that Everton created came from Lindelof, uh, you know, situations. So for me, I would always try to play Varane. Of course, one thing that limits Varane's playing is the frequency that he can play at. I, I don't think he's a player who can play at. you know once in 3 days anymore so probably that's been a factor as well uh, but i i i would really hope that varan comes back into the team some soon. bitter pills being swallowed um, i i get i get reminded of uh, rio ferdinand uh, and and david moyes when david moyes came in as the coach of united and sent rio ferdinand home with some homework to go study um one of his uh, everton defenders phil jagielka at the time and 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 learn a thing or two from phil jagielka i'm sure ten hag must be pa- passing on some notes to varan to say learn a bit from johnny evans how he uses his left foot or learn a bit from maguire mm-hmm. all right uh moving on now the team that seemed to have benefited the most from uh spurs losing man city and liverpool drawing was arsenal as they i think their hero kai havertz as as up touched upon earlier in the episode uh, uh won them a critical game against the tricky brentford and they're now top of the league is it time to start rearranging the favorite stags is it just a matter of time till city get back up there what do you guys think um, are you guys convinced yet about arteta and arsenal we've had some discussion on this on this pod uh, over arsenal getting the results that they need uh, every now and again but not perhaps looking passing the eye test if you will um, so rk what do you think is is arsenal uh, the front runner are they a distant second are they a close second what do you think Yeah, this is one of the things that is so confusing, right? And 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 so difficult to make the mind up because they have been shit in few of the games. In the previous game, they were properly shit. I I I think they didn't deserve to win that game at all. Uh, probably the Havertz goal was the first, you know, really high XG chance that they created. So they have had a lot of games uh, where they have been pretty ordinary, uh, and 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 they have been uh, you know managed to take out three points by virtue of the solidity, and you know. 
of the things that they have improved on from last season and that comes to the second point which is basically you know on certain aspects they look so sturdy it's almost like sometimes you are looking at probably 2004 5 6 morinho teams of course morinho teams uh, chelsea teams scored a lot of goals as well but i am more referring to the physicality part the sturdiness part where you know uh, like they don't readily seem as if they are going to concede and uh, it, and it looks like a team who is willing to you know win a lot of games 1-0 uh, like they don't mind winning ugly at all so and that has a lot to do with you know declan rice coming in uh, bringing in that muscle in midfield the center backs are you know in as good form as as ever if not better uh, ben white has has been injured and in comes tommy asu who is probably more physical player so what arsenal and arteta i think are trying to do is uh, they have been so probably scarred by the end of last season that they have gone you know uh, like swung the pendulum too much the other way where they are uh, you know preferring more caution over the adventure that they showed you know how they accelerated a lot of fans last season so probably it's because of that but as long as you know they are able to get these one nil wins it will be good however uh, rather to answer your question in uh, in summary i i don't think showing this form can last too long there will come a time when they start you know these three points become one point so at some point arsenal need to you know start scoring more goals uh, start playing more fluidly i feel right at least for now however they move into a couple of easily winnable games i would say they have wolves coming up and then luton town before they face probably their big test of this period which is aston villa uh, but i think they can get six points out of the next six easily so let's see how they stand uh, maybe towards the end of december that will give us a, a good view of where arsenal stand in the season um, moving on though their neighbors uh, Ange, it doesn't seem to be going that well, might? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us are too surprised, right? Not because Spurs are Spurs, or not just because Spurs are Spurs. The injuries was bound to catch up. Uh, we always kind of knew that, and uh, I mean, irrespective of injuries or no injuries, they were bound to dip in form after that incredible start. Uh, but uh, three in a row will hurt them badly. Three defeats in a row will be hurting them badly. Um, Yeah, <laughs> and Postecoglou won the Manager of the Month for October. I don't think he's going to win it for November. You know uh, what I found really funny uh, when we were talking about the match was uh, when Watkins scores the goal, and we start discussing it. And uh, you know Ashwin posts uh, that uh, you know famous caption now, "Just do it, mate." So yeah, that that was really funny to put Anz, you know, comment on him. uh but i i thought that you know of all the defeats uh, probably the way that they tried to play considering all the big injuries that they have got they have got injuries uh, to really really important players uh, so the, the you know the way that they tried to shape they could have gone two ways either uh, you know bring eric De- uh, you know dyer the likes of him back into the team play in a you know different way to how ange likes to play or you know go with the players that he trusts which are available of course that is going to bring a lot of errors but uh, he was hoping to you know uh, impose his style which i thought from the in the context of this match was the right choice uh, to go with and they ended up having i think uh, more chances than spurs probably they were unlucky to uh, you know lose that game so compared to the previous match uh, i think his naivety didn't affect him this game uh, which will of, of course show up in future games but probably the way that they uh, i think one thing that's going to stand them in good stead 
is against a lot of these teams. Uh, if they stick true to their style, they will still, uh, you know, be a threat. So it was at least good to see him not backing down. I I don't think pragmatism is to the extent that you change your style completely when people get injured. Probably we have seen that a bit with Ten Hag, where he compromises his style. I would rather compromise the style in certain situations, like uh, when they were nine, uh, you know, down to nine men. That's when I want to see the pragmatism. Probably when you are eleven against eleven, even with injuries, I I would like a manager to stick to his principles, and that's what Ange did. So I I I don't uh, I I still feel they are a well coached team, good team, but they are going to struggle with all those injuries till the comeback. Yeah, I mean, for me, the turning point of uh, the high of uh, Ange and Tottenham was that Chelsea game. Just looking at the way that they played with nine men was just downright hilarious. From there on, I wasn't able to take them seriously anymore. Um, but yeah, you have to like throw them a bone here. They had four fullbacks playing in defense uh, this for the for the game. Uh, they uh, they started Bentancur, who of course was a high quality signing that they got from Juventus, and very unfortunately he got injured uh, pretty much uh, straight after the game started. So that's another big blow for them. Madison, of course, was the one of the players of the season so far, and he he's out. Uh, as well, so yeah, you have to throw them a little bit of uh, a rope, and um, they should come back. But it's not looking good for them. Man City away next, followed by West Ham, followed by Newcastle. If you if you've just lost three on the run, I don't think those are the three games that you would want coming up next. Uh, things could get ugly now for Ange, Ange and Spurs, um, but I I I do think that they should be able to scrape. Uh, top four. A little bit of my, that, my thinking on that is that Villa, who of course beat them um, at the weekend, I feel like Villa also won't be able to sustain this kind of run rate all through the season. So maybe Spurs might be able to just pull out, uh, pull off a top four despite the tough fixtures coming up. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, one thing about Villa that I was reading up after the game uh, was that. You know, we all know that Emery is a bit of a pragmatic manager. He doesn't really play a very high line. But what he has done this season is he's still not playing a very high line, but with a you know medium or a like medium to low block, the number of offsides that they have uh, been able to affect Villa, uh, you know, have almost three times the next uh, like the highest offsides affected than the next team, and the next team is Liverpool. I think since Emery has been in charge, uh, Aston Villa have played the other team uh, offside some one seventy times, and probably the next team is Liverpool with some fifty sixty. So. I don't know, you know, how risky that is to not be playing with a very high line at the same time trying to play teams offside seems to be working like a treat. I mean, it's not a very short tenure, but one of the it's it seems like one of the you know uh, signatures what Emery has done so far. So uh, and the way that they are attacking, you know, the players that are in form. I think as long as those players are in form, Villa will continue to get points and be a threat. But as you said, Radha, I also don't expect them to keep this up for a very long time. We have seen Brighton and Newcastle, you know, have those crests and troughs, uh, and, and I think Villa will also do the same. Yep. Um, just before we move into the the preview of some of the games that are coming up, big games coming up next weekend. Uh, one topic that we missed because we were on leave just as the Premier League was on leave prior to uh, this week with the international break. But the big story, RK touched upon it a bit. Everton getting ten points docked. Um, uh, in in a sentence or two, lads, where should Man City be playing? Which league should Man City be be playing in uh, next season? If that is the precedent that they've set, man, if uh, 
it's just that we've gotten so used to city getting away with stuff now that we genuinely don't believe they're going to get some major uh this one right so that's i mean 115 charges you would believe that even if 5% of those charges come to anything they'd probably be docked at least 20 30 points there is i know there's talk of relegation and double relegation and all of that but um, to be honest i'm not expecting anything to happen anytime soon on that front it's just we've just so used to city just getting away with stuff you know the standard excuse in all this is they have so many charges that is taking time to investigate i mean just investigate two or three charges i mean everton i have a fine of i, I mean uh, you know everton defaulted on ffp by 19.5 million pounds is is i mean i may not be exactly accurate but this something on the lines of what i read because of which they are docked 10 points so just investigate three or four things of city and close it there why why are you waiting for i mean just the fact that people are trying to make an excuse of 115 charges it seems ridiculous i can feel for everton fans but hopefully you know just five points away from luton they have some hope yeah i mean the big losers in all of this are definitely everton i don't i feel really bad for the the fans but to be honest they were completely misrun uh, uh, yeah. this entire this entire era of ownership has been a disaster um so in one sense they deserve what they got but the fans uh looking at man city perhaps and the kind of the charges that man city have had and then being the first to get points docked and i think they're lucky in the sense that this is the season of luton town sheffield united and burnley who may be the three worst promoted teams that we've seen perhaps in the last decade in the premier league so i think everton will still be okay um uh, so they're i think a bit lucky with that but yeah i feel really badly for them and uh, yeah apparently man city has a lawyer who earns as much as kevin de bruyne does so uh, yeah i think that's the way they they are setting the template of if you break a rule then break it like this 115 charges will be it'll take them 3 years to investigate it we'll figure it out by then hire some lawyers who are like you know kdb level lawyers make sure that nobody can get anything past uh, man city are just like Uh, they're setting a template for Newcastle to follow over the over the next ten years, perhaps. But but rather probably you have seen uh, Everton more being a Liverpool club. But I am not very aware of you know very loud protests against the ownership as or as much as you know. I think uh, Everton has been even much more badly misrun than probably Manchester United. And you know we all know about how vitriolic the crowd can get against the Glazers. Probably in my opinion, it's time that you know the Everton crowd starts. you know training their guns on the ownership rather than just go after the premier league which is also warranted but i think they should they should try to throw that ownership out yeah so see in the on the one side if you think about where everton were and then you talk about a brand new stadium coming up and you talk about them going out and buying allen and yerimina and a bunch of guys from barcelona and some of the top clubs in europe gilfie sigurdsson for 50 million uh, if you, if you if you just think about that as a fan group you're actually like okay that sounds good then you say hamez rodriguez you, you sang carlo ancelotti for god's sake as a fan group at one at one side you're thinking wow this is amazing like if you you only typically don't care about the excel sheets and the balance sheets you only care about what's on the pitch and and from that sense i'm sure a lot of them got excited however if you've seen how their performance has been and how clearly mismanaged it has been for a long time 
I think now there is a feeling of resignation amongst the fan group, and I don't know any Everton fans personally. It's just the Liverpool podcast that I listen to, who are strict, usually based out of Liverpool, and the kind of discussions that happen on that. So it feels like the Everton fans have kind of come to terms with, okay, if something goes wrong, it's likely to go wrong for Everton. So um, there was this. There, it feels like all the stuff that happens um, typically happens to them, and and I guess they're now maybe laughing at themselves and the state of their club a little bit which which i guess is unfortunate for any fan group so nobody wants to be in that position uh, I, so it's something that i think the fans would have been really excited by to start off with and now they're like okay this has been quite crap and uh, clearly there was no plan and clearly we couldn't afford it and a whole bunch of things have gone wrong none of the players are even on relegation clauses man uh, that's another really dangerous thing when you're getting dark 10 points. None of their players, uh, that okay, the new signings maybe, but none of their older players are even on relegation clause, like wage drop clauses, which is like, if if they go down, it's going to be carnage. I, I can't even imagine what's going to happen. But here's hoping they don't. I think they're a club with great history, with a great fan group. Here's hoping they somehow stay up. All right. Just to wrap up this episode, let's look at some of the games that we have coming up. We already touched upon the big United victory that's coming at St. James's Park against Newcastle. RK, you have around 30 seconds to do your best jinx. Look, uh, as I told, I, I was only complimenting players. Uh, United have had a very easy run of games uh, in the last 7 or 8, which you see as the you know Premier League's form team and stuff like that. We have played all the bottom six or seven teams. And now if you look at the forthcoming fixtures, it's Newcastle, Liverpool, West Ham, you know, and the likes. Uh, and I think there are a lot more tough fixtures that I'm missing as well in that. So last six games are definitely going to be tough for United. And coming up with the Galatasaray game, which is there tomorrow. I, You know, it's, it's very easy. We have been talking a lot of feel-good stuff. But we can easily be in crisis by Sunday. So, yeah, that's my 30 seconds, I guess. Yeah, that was a good. Uh, that was a good jinx. I think. Yeah, just bring everything back to crisis uh, by Sunday with Galatasaray coming up. I think well done there, RK. Um, another big game. Uh, up Brighton have this habit of either getting thumped or really thumping some teams, especially the big ones. Uh, how are you feeling going into the weekend against Brighton? Yeah, I'm not feeling very positive about the game. Uh, we've been, but we've been doing one crap game, one good game, kind of. So far, so given that our crap game is out of the way, maybe I can be a little positive. Uh, it is at home, although our away record is much better than our home record. Um, yeah, I I think it will be a draw, but just going by what we've seen so far, uh, our home games have consisted of us creating chances, dominating position, creating much more XG, and then losing 1-0. That's been the template. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've beaten Bright Brighton already once this season in the Carabao. Maybe maybe we can do it again. But personally, I'm not feeling too optimistic about the result. Uh, creating a lot of chances and losing 1-0. Some, some good uh, jinx territory there uh, from Ab as well. Learning from the best, clearly. The other big game of the weekend, of course, is Man City versus Spurs. Although Spurs are heavily depleted, it should be a, a, a decent game to watch. Um, what do you guys think is going to happen? Is there any chance that Spurs have in this game? Yeah, I think of all the three games that we have discussed on the three managers, and just clearly the guy who is leached under pressure, whatever happens uh, this weekend, I, I don't expect Spurs to uh, you know even get a point. 
they are likely to be far too open for city and uh, i i don't think there is any chance that i see i i, I expect spurs to put up a fight uh, and you know go down in that naive childish way that they you know you know where people will rave about them but uh, other than that don't really expect too much from that game but yeah the pressure is really on you know pochettino and ten hag maybe less on pochettino as well but definitely there's some pressure and there's going to be pressure on you know ten hag so so i, I think that's it's it's going to be more about the three men in the dugout uh, than the three teams i feel all right and on a in a week where a lot of the traditional big clubs have difficult fixtures arsenal play wolves and liverpool play fulham so these t- these two will be on a different kind of pressure because they will be expected to make the most of any lapses from the other big teams around let's see if they can cope with that pressure but they really should be doing so we'll we'll, we'll see what happens in those games and we'll be back next week to talk about all these three big games and the other ones as well until then have a nice week we'll see you next week <laughs>